Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I'm your host, Oz Rashid, and today, my friends, we have a very special guest. Today, we are joined by Karen Vieira, the Global Chief People Officer at Church's Chicken. Karen, how are you doing? Hi, Oz. I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Nice to see you on this fun Tuesday afternoon. It is, and it's Halloween, and and this is not going to come out on Halloween, but we're going to talk about Halloween for a second. I got to ask you, it's my favorite holiday. My birthday is very close. So I grew up to ho- uh, costume parties all throughout my youth. So that's yeah. probably been stuck. I mean, also, I'm a sucker for candy. So that's probably part of it, too. Do you have a favorite Halloween costume that you've ever worn? I absolutely do. And I almost pulled it out today. Um, so I have this crazy long wig with the 70s dress that goes with it, oh uh, tie-dyed <laughs> version. And I wore it into the office like a couple years ago. And it was a lot of fun because I don't think people recognize me for about, I don't know, 30 minutes. And they're thinking, who is that woman walking around? But it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. That's amazing. Now you're the chief people officer. Were they maybe starting to have conversations with you that they, they that since they didn't recognize you that Maybe, or did they know, did they pick up on it pretty quick? They're like, oh, better hold on. This is Karen. No, I had the sun, the big sunglasses and the long hair, the, you know, tie-dye dress and the hippie boots. And they were like, they weren't really sure if they should talk to me, ask me who I was, what was I doing building. So Fresh off of Woodstock. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm so excited you're here. You obviously work for such a well-recognized brand, a company that's known for its culture, for its vision. So I'm excited to dive into that. But I, I want to learn a little bit more about your journey before we even get there. You have spent your career primarily in insurance before coming to churches. So I'm just, it's that, what, what, a, what a difference in, in overall industry and just everything, I imagine. What compelled you to leave somewhere that you had been in an industry you've been in for so long to join the vision of churches? So um, it's true, you know, insurance and medical space was my background. I spent most of my career there. And it was actually a cold call from a recruiter that reached out to me and talked about this amazing company that was looking to build a people brand. They were interested in the values and the culture and driving things forward. And uh, the more the more they shared with me, the more excited I got. And it was it was the right move. And I'm so happy that I did did join churches. I love that. I got to give credit to the recruiter who reached out because sometimes people get so tunnel vision and narrowly focused and say industry or like industry or things like that. There must have been something about your experience that really compelled and stood out. And of course, it ended up working out. Was there a moment as you were going through the interview process or maybe one of the interviews that really stood out to you and you're like, this is my home. This is where I want to be. Yes, I actually um, was going to meet with the, the CEO and the chief legal officer for the interview. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm not the right person for them. You know, I'm not the right background, but I know so many people in the Atlanta area. I'm sure when I meet them, I can tell them who might be a good fit for the role. And we just had a blast in the interview. It was more of a conversation than an interview. They were excited about people. They were telling me what they were interested in. I'm like, I'm not going to tell anybody else about this job. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So it was a great opportunity. I'm glad I went to the interview and met them. And, um, you know, just right, right away, we clicked on, on our values, on what we were looking for, challenges. And they're very open to new ideas, thinking differently. So great fit and exciting, exciting too. I love that. 
Yeah. If you're having fun with the chief legal officer in the interview, then you know that you're walking <laughs> into a great environment. That is awesome and amazing. <laughs> I, I got to ask you. So listen, I don't know if I told you this. Our company in the past did work with Popeye's, which is also in the Atlanta area. Um, mm -hmm. I've eaten many Kentucky fried chicken in the past. I love fried chicken. But I got to tell you, churches is my favorite because I just fi I find the food to yeah. be really tasty and, and really consistent store to store. So I'm interested what are some of the business objectives of churches? How do you differentiate? Where where are you all going? Are you looking at further expansion, international, new products? Like, what are kind of the things that are driving churches as a business as we go into twenty twenty four? You know, it's an exciting company, and i i don't I don't think we're known. Uh, we're as well known as I hope we will be. Uh, when you think about it, we're a one point three billion dollar company. We're in twenty three countries, including the U S. today. So many people just think we're U.S. located, but we're Texas chicken internationally and soon to be larger internationally than we are domestically. So when you think about it, that's a that's a huge growth um, where we're focused is in getting our people, the right people in the right places and growing the organization and, you know, just celebrating the wonderful food that we have. It's it's it's. It's really what you expect when you sit down for Sunday dinner. You know, it's homemade, it's hand breaded, it's um, I love the okra. I always say okra is life, you know, and just some amazing food that uh it, it's just a great, great growth story and where we're headed. Um, we have an, an incredible culture. I just love the culture. And there's so much to celebrate in the culture with, you know, an eight, we have an 89% engagement score, if you can believe that, which is, wow. which is pretty impressive. And it's it's all about our people. It's all about our people. I think that's where you start, right? Mm -hmm. And listen, you know, it takes a lot of people to achieve that level of, of engagement score, but you got to pat yourself on the back because that, that definitely is great leadership. And I've always been kind of fascinated. Again, I don't want to talk too much about the competitors because I find the church's chicken brand and the food to be uh, extra special and tasty. But also in working with young brands in the past, you know, they have pizza, they have Taco Bell, they have KFC. And of their international portfolio, I think a good 50% of it was Kentucky Fried Chicken. So there's just something about chicken and fried chicken that translates internationally. I'm so excited for your international expansion. I didn't know you were in 23 different countries. I think there's a big opportunity there. And looking forward that when I take trips out of the country that I'll have Church's Chicken and can turn to that and enjoy that and have a little bit of home even when I'm abroad. You talked about the culture. And one of the things that I know is important to any great culture, especially one that's growing and trying to reach new heights, is innovation. And now I know you were part of an initiative at the company um, around an innovation portal. So I'm just very interested. Tell us how this all came about and then maybe some of the interesting ways or things that have come up and ideas out of that innovation portal. Yeah, and the, the innovation portal really came out of our engagement survey. So there were three things that the employees said we could do better. And one was communicating our path forward and our growth. So we, we jumped on that right away and shared that vision out. And we're very clear in our goals and sharing that with our employees transparently and frequently. So I think that's a key there. But the other two things they talked about were being innovative and simple, you know, simplifying our processes. So I believe and have always believed that the best ideas come from the front line. 
right? The people that do the jobs know better than anyone how to do it better. So how do you get that information? So we we actually I worked I worked with um, the IT department here locally. We built this out. So we built an innovation portal that's on our internal intranet site. So yeah. our employees can go onto the site and they can submit a suggestion and they kind of have to build it out. So it, it there's there's several areas: profitability improvement, process improvement, technology, um, menu, guest experience, marketing, engagement, and restaurant operations. So they can pick the area that they want to make the suggestion. They fill out the ideas, and then it goes through a stage gate process of different approvals and reviews. But the fun thing about that is the employees, if they get to certain steps in the process, even if their idea doesn't get implemented, they get recognized and they get dollars. They they earn money. Mm -hmm. So the fun part of this is I don't, you know, building out an app or building out a portal takes time. And one of our employees had this great idea. And I'm like, okay, the portal's not done, but why would you wait, right? Because that's just... That makes it happen, but the idea shouldn't have to wait. So the fun part for me was that we, the day we got to announce the portal and really share it with the company broadly, because we've been sharing it, but when we, when we were able to share the launch, I was also able to give him a check for $10,000 for his idea. So I, those huge checks, you know, eight foot check walk in. Uh, he didn't know why he was in Atlanta and he's looking around for the rest of his team members. So, so much fun. And, you know, it's nothing like putting your money where your mouth is and showing that you mean this. You're really sincere in rolling out a program and being able to reward somebody right away at the announcement. So it was, it was so exciting. I got some follow-ups here because I, I just got, we got to talk about this reward. So a couple of things here. We, innovation is one of the values here at MSH. It's something that we've paid a lot of attention to, to try to get ideas out of our people. And there have been great ideas. The problem is I've been like giving away gift cards. Like once they hear this podcast and $10,000, I'm going to have a lot of people knocking on my door saying, Hey, Oz, you got to step your game up. So I'm super impressed by that. What was the idea? That has to be something pretty game changing. No. So he actually, and and now you're gonna you're gonna um, really you'll appreciate what he came up with. He came up with a better process. So we put real honey butter on our biscuits, mm. and honey butter is expensive, and he we were wasting a lot of the honey butter. So it actually resulted in a million dollar savings. So that the top end of the award right now is ten thousand dollars. It may go higher. Based on the success we're, you know, we're seeing, we could we could consider that. Uh, but his idea was how to distribute or how to put the honey butter on the biscuits in a more effective cost saving manner, not changing the formula, not, you know, not lessening, but it's eliminating the waste of how we were processing it. That's fantastic. So that idea obviously did a lot of great things for the company from a cost perspective. He's rewarded. Everybody feels good. More, It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy now. More people are contributing ideas to the innovation portal. Kudos to you. Kudos to that employee. That's amazing. And now I'm getting a little bit hungry. So I'm going to get to dinner when we talk about honey butter. You have also told me about your passion about giving back and helping others. I'm interested, you know, I know you're doing a lot of different things from a philanthropic and community perspective in the company, but I'm interested in what you do outside of the company. What are some of the initiatives that you take on personally that are you're passionate about or that excite you? 
So I, I serve on a couple of boards, a volunteer. Um, one is a coach and a mentor to a CEO who is in a blockchain startup. And uh, so I am like a personal advisor to her. It's a volunteer position. But on a on a more formal basis, I'm also the chair chairman or chairwoman for the board for uh, Georgia State Workforce Development Board. Oh, wow. And um, I've been running that for, I've been on that board for 11 years and just uh, ran the, the one of the committees, which is the Adult and Dislocated Worker Committee and assumed the role of chair chairwoman recently. I've been filling in for about a year and just assumed formally the role. But that that's a big passion for me because this, the state board, what they do is they help the veterans returning um, find jobs. They help the the incarcerated returning find jobs, upskill, get some kind of an employment, you know, whether that's a certification or they're going to a technical college. People that are underemployed, that don't have skills, it helps increase their skills through apprentice programs. And then the folks that have lost their job or outplaced, how do I go about finding a job or getting the right skills or my industry's changed and I, I don't fit in in that industry anymore. So, you know, I have two passions in life and one is education because it's something I don't think you ever lose. You know, you can lose a job, you can lose a family member, you can lose a spouse, you don't lose your education. So I feel education, and it could be technical education, it could be a certification, it doesn't have to be a four-year degree, but education is so important. And then one of the other factors I think is critical in changing somebody's life or a needle mover in life is helping someone get a job or help them get a better job. So I have a lot of passion around helping people in that area. Preaching to the choir on that. Uh, I, for me, you know, I'll be honest, when I first got into this industry in the first place, I started in technology before moving over into outplacement, recruitment, talent management, talent acquisition. And I'll be honest, like at first it was like, well, you know, I was working for a large Fortune 500 company and making a base salary and I wanted a little more incentive and I wanted to be able to, you know, I wanted my hard work to be rewarded a little bit faster. But once I got into the industry and I started doing it and I started seeing the impact I was having on people's lives, um, you know, people who were like able to send children to private school because you get them a better job with more compensation, relocating them to an area where they, uh, you know, find more of a, you know, uh, uh, Indian community or some sort of diversity community that they can be a part of, or even sometimes recommending that, hey, maybe not leaving your current company is the right thing to do. Maybe you should ask for a promotion. These are the type of things that really, really, really impact people's lives. And so I'm a little bit hokey about it, but you know, I, I wouldn't say we're at the level of like teachers and nurses and firemen and policemen in terms of giving back to the community. But I think what we're doing is the level right below that. I really believe it. We've all met people who've been in toxic jobs or are veterans coming back from serving our country and need help finding work or people who are incarcerated and did their time and are looking for, and I'm very passionate about helping people find not just work, but their dream work, right? And I think that's a really important thing. And the other thing I'll point out on, 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 on what I'm not sure some people understand about this industry, when you do it well, when you humanize it, when you, when you take care and treat individuals like individuals and the whole person and help them find this new work, it can also move 
industries and economies. And I'll give you an example. Um, in between 2012 and 2018, we actually relocated over 300 people to South Florida, this market, because um, we had a couple of clients that that was really big for them. And we were moving them from places like New York City and Chicago and Toronto and Los Angeles, all these big intellectual capital hubs and moving them to this part of the country that they otherwise wouldn't be living. And if you think about that, that's 300 families. Now, now, maybe not everybody's still here, but of that, a good majority are still here, still maybe working at different companies, contributing to this economy, putting their kids through school here. That's a big deal. That's a big impact. That's something that, you know, in South Florida and Miami, like we've made a big impact from a business perspective in terms of this economy and what it's doing. So I just, I'm so passionate about it. I love to hear about your passion for it because everybody deserves to love the work that they're doing. Everybody deserves to wake up and feel good. Doesn't mean every day is going to be great. That doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges and toughness, but enjoying your work, it's such a big part of all of our identities because of how much we spend time doing it, that it's worth doing it well and with people you like doing it with and being somewhere where you feel like you're having an impact. So I just want to give you major kudos for taking time out of your, 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 your day work and day job to contribute to those people who need that help. I think that's just such a great thing. Yeah, thank you, Oz. And, you know, I'm from Miami, so I love to hear that. <laughs> My 305 phone number is still with me. Love um, but, you know, and I, I can relate to that. I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. You know, when you help someone find a job, you contribute to their self-esteem. And mm -hmm. that's part of being successful, right? You have to have some confidence. You have to have self self-esteem and and sometimes you need that help and you know early on I started my career I studied architecture so I started as a draftsman mm. and it I really was missing that people component and I re I recognized it but I didn't have anyone to talk to I talked to my professors my architecture professors and they're like you know, you're a straight A student, you'll be fine, you'll get used to it. And I'm like, no, I'm not used to it. It's not going to work. So I was very lost early on in my career, right? You, you, you go and then you, you know, you go into your career and you start this internship, you think you're launching your life. And you get this, this realization that I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. you know, and what is that mistake? And where do I go from here? And, and how do I find that path? So I do spend time, I do try to talk to people, you know, whether it's interviewing them or just meeting them or um, in any way, you never know, you know, you could be sitting next to someone on a bus or on a, on a plane and you're, you're finding out that they're going through, they're going through that thought process of what is my future? What is my career? Many of our employees, I've, I've spent time talking to them about where's your passion? What do you, what do you love doing? Because if you can take those successes, like you said, you don't always have to leave a company, but you can capitalize on your strengths and use it in a different way and find your path to something that really is going to work for you. Uh, and I found my way to HR. I did go back and get my, my degree in HR, my master's in HR, but I certainly didn't start there. So the journey was not easy. I love that. And, and and I love that you you care about giving back and giving back internally and helping people. And I'm so with you. Like our company at first was really around like outsourcing, hiring executives, hiring middle management in corporate America. But one thing that was a big passion of mine as well was getting involved in early in career talent. And that's why we set up our campus offerings and working with, you know, very large organizations around what they do from a campus perspective, because there's a couple different things there. One is, I think it's one of the best ways to bring diversity into your organization early in the funnel, give them opportunities, grow and develop. And that can lead into great things from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective and best practices. But also to your point, 
my goodness, when I look at the American education system, there's a lot, we can get on a big soapbox here, but I think the big problem is that we're also kind of forced to pick our, our path very early on, 18, 19 years old, not having a lot of experience, not having a lot of knowledge. Maybe we knew somebody who did it. Maybe we saw a movie or read something in a book that made us think, and much like you, we're in architecture. Not many people realize that I can get out of this. I can, I, I don't, if I'm not feeling that this is the right thing for me, I can pursue a different path. And for me, you know, you went from architecture to, you know, you were, and you go in, you went back into HR, you got your further education, but then you went into different industries before landing where you're at. My, my, my path was also very different. I applied to law school. I thought I was headed there. I ended up in technology. I was in project management. I was doing executive search. And now I don't even know that my role of talent is a big part of my role, but building a business and creating an impact. I'm trying to do that in a lot of different ways, including talent, especially talent. So I'm just so with you. And that's why we like to hire early and career talent here in the company as well and help them find out what's because one of the cool things about what we do is we work with so many different industries and so many different companies that if you don't know what you want to do when you get here, you're going to learn about so many different companies and startups and environments and industries and different things that, you know, at some point you're going to realize, oh, I'm really drawn to this. And we've always made it very clear that people we bring in, come in, learn what we're doing gain a skill, but also know that you're part of your career development. And we want to find out what you're passionate about, what you love. And there's probably a dang good chance there's an opportunity within our company, but also there might be a world of opportunities out there that you can go pursue that. And so I just, for me, it's really, really important that we help, you know, because it's such a formative time. And to your point, I think that's a little more of an old school way of thinking, but like, I've heard that before. No, you're getting straight A's. Like, I don't know, you'll get used to it. It'll be fine. You know, that's not always the case. Sometimes that works out, but many times it doesn't. We know in our gut, what feels good and what doesn't. So I'm grateful that you knew better. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking anymore. Maybe if I had an architecture podcast, we would be. But I'm just <laughs> glad that you figured out your path and it's led to so much success. That is amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Now I got to tell you, we talk about hiring because I'm obsessed with it and I want to learn about it. So I want to get into some of the hiring questions. For the people that you bring into your organization or maybe in your team in particular, in one sentence or less, can you kind of give me an idea of what your overall hiring or interviewing philosophy is for people that you want to bring into your team? Yes. So I, I think skills are really important. And so I do look for skills and try to evaluate the skills. But for me, attitude is critical. Okay. Right? Because I believe you can learn over time skills and you can get better at what you're doing. It is hard to change attitude. And if the attitude's not right or the desire is not right, that individual that doesn't fit into your culture or doesn't fit into your team or who, you know, is not excited about work, is not excited about interacting with their team members, that has such a negative impact that I do talk a lot about, you know, what's the attitude? What's the what's the value alignment? You know, are they are you seeing indicators that their values are aligned with the culture of the organization? I'm very protective of the culture of the organization. I've I've passed on individuals that have had amazing success and track records and careers because I could tell that they were not going to fit into the culture. It wasn't going to be the right fit. And the attitudes just weren't there. They're you know, at all levels. And I think that that's a very important area to focus in on. Very smart. Totally agree. What are the key behavioral attributes that you see at the most successful people at churches? I think, I think the most, um, when I, when I think about the words of doing the right thing, you know, are you a critical thinker that you're evaluating what is the right thing, whether it's for a guest 
it's for your colleague. You know, that's kind of a, a baseline value that means a lot to me. So when I ask them certain questions, I like to understand their thought process that they go through. You know, what did they consider in making a decision? Um, what did they think about were other options as they thought about that decision? But at the end of the day, I want to know that they made the decision that was because it was the right thing to do in the situation. So I'll throw out some hypothetical situations or ask about an experience. And I try to dig down into their thought process of what did they consider? You know, was it an easy decision? Uh, was it just to get it a task off their plate? Or if it was more difficult, why did they go the more difficult route? And I think it kind of goes back to value alignment. Love it. Do you have any favorite questions that you love to ask in interviews? You know, I always want to understand why did somebody where, you know, what interested them in the job? Because if it's not interesting, right, if it's not going to be fun, life's too short, you got to have fun, right? So if you're not connected with the job, and you're, you're really not in it, to enjoy it, and I don't see that connection, um, it comes out in that question of, you know, what, what did you like most about the job? What did you see in the job description? That, but I also like to ask them, you know, so, okay, you've been in a job for a year now, what will be the single biggest contribution you will have made to the role? And, you know, I'd like to, I like to process through what are they thinking Did they, you know, did they give that any thought? Uh, are they creative in their thinking? Are they, you know, um, what is their, what have they thought about that they want to do? And what do they think they can make it, how they can make a difference? Fantastic. So if I ask you to think about a memorable interview experience, good or bad, maybe you were interviewing, maybe you were interviewing somebody else, what comes to mind? Um, I, I had an interview not too long ago with an intern that was coming into the HR department and she's a psychology major and I, I thought she was incredibly bright and interesting, but she really wasn't sure where her future belongs. So I, we use the, we use the interview almost like a coaching session oh, wow. and, um, I did hire her for the summer intern project, but I love just hearing what areas she was exploring, what she was thinking about, you know, what were her strengths? Um, why did she want to do the internship in HR, even though it wasn't an area she was even interested in going into? How would that play out in her role in psychology? And um, it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun connecting with a young person who's at the beginning of their career. You know, what I what I helped her do is keep an open mind, right? Mm -hmm. Just just look at, you know, use this as an experience. Everything you do is an experience that you can build on and you can say, yep, this is right for me. I'm connecting with it and I want to do more or, hey, this isn't right for me. This isn't. And actually, when she finished the intern, she told me, she said, you know, I never thought I'd be in HR. She said, but I had so much fun in my internship, I'm going to rethink that, which was not my, I was not driving her in that direction. I just wanted her to keep an open mind and use that at every experience to guide her on her path. She's an incredibly bright young lady and excited. It was fun for me to spend the time with her and spend the summer with her. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, listen, you want to create an environment, whether, and you want people to feel good about their work. You want them to feel like they have purpose and they're excited and they're challenged. There's no question about that. But a big part of being in HR, a big part of any leader in a company is creating an environment where people enjoy coming to work. They feel good about coming to work. They they like the people they work with. They like the things they're working on. You know, we joke around all the time here at MSH that especially when we hire all this early in career talent that, you know, you come work here, you know, hopefully it's for much longer than a year or two. But if not, we're going to ruin you for every other company you ever work at because you're going to think back to MSH and I wish it could be like that. Take note, Ella, that's coming for you. So I want to make sure that people have and understand this is an environment that they're going to get special things here that are unique and that we really care about our employees. And so I'd love to hear that. Hopefully that, you know, something like that could spark our amazing career in HR. So I'm glad to hear that she had a good experience. So she's still with the team. She's gone back to school. She's in her last year. So she might come back. You never know. The door's open. The door's open. I'd love to have her back. She was a lot of fun. And I actually had her creating some programs for future interns. So what does she expect, you know, as an intern? What would she want to know? What are programs we can do during the summer intern period? So she actually worked on programs that she could relate to and made a difference for the organization. So she could be really proud of what she did while she was here. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. And now she's been shouted out on this podcast. So, so maybe yeah. that drives I'll her back. Call her. I love it. <laughs> or wait, I should text her because that's how we communicate. <laughs> that's how we communicate. There you go. You're on it. You know how to reach the the, the interns. I love that. Yep. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Karen. What do you do to manage like candidate experience? Because well, I think one of the things that's really tough is like, I've seen people oversell and get people excited. And then you're actually doing the wrong thing because if the employee takes the job on a false premise at the end of the day, they're not going to be happy long-term and they're going to figure stuff out. And sometimes it happens like a week or two in. So being, you know, having a realistic job preview, I think is important, but also create an experience, whether it be the way you're interviewing, who's interviewing, how you interview, that gives you an idea of what this company is and their culture is like, is a super intentional thing. So is there anything that you do or that you advise people in the organization to do to create kind of a unique and memorable candidate experience? Oz, it's a good question. I think the candidate experience is is very important because they're your reference, right? Whether they had a good experience or a bad experience, they had a good experience, they're going to talk about it in a favorable way. But if they had a bad experience, they're going to also share that. So you want to be sure that they do have a good experience, um, but that you're, you're honest about the role. You're straightforward about the expectations. I don't talk people into coming to work here, but what I like to do is understand what are they work, what are they looking for? Is this a fit? Here's our culture. Here's our standards for the culture. Cause like I keep saying, I'm very protective of the culture and the expectations. Um, I'm really proud of the people, but I don't talk anybody into coming to work here. What I want to do is make sure that it's the right fit. And, you know, even in my past, I've talked, um, I work for a medical company and I was hiring for the top chief medical officer role and it wasn't the right time in his life to take that role or to live in New York City, which is where the job was. And, you know, at the end of the day, he and I sat down and we we just said, I, is this really the right time for you to take this role? You have two young children, you're living, you know, in a, in a, on a farm and you're going to move to down in New York city. Um, your kids are going to be relocating. Have you thought about it? And he said the entire plane ride and cab ride here 
it was the the top thing on his mind. And he's just by asking him, he said, you're right. He said, you're, this is my issue. I'm not, I'm, it's not right for me right now. And I, I felt that was the case because you could talk people into a job, but it doesn't last and it's not right for them. It's not right for you. So I, I do not do that. Uh, it's not the right thing to do for anyone. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that you said that. So our company, in addition to the services we offer from a technology consulting and a full-time hiring perspective, we've built software. And part of what our value prop on our software is, especially over the long term, is that predictive nature of hiring. One of the things that we've learned over the last 13, 14 years of R&D is that it's not just about behavioral and cultural fit. It's not just about capability fit. Situation and motivation is so important imperative to long-term happiness in a role. And to your point, one of the things that is 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 one of the biggest uh, indicators of faulty hiring can be right person, wrong time. You know, I, I joke around with my wife all the time that, you know, mm -hmm. we met at 28, 29 when I was at a different point in my life. But if I had met her in college, probably wouldn't have ended up together. She would have despised me. There's no question about that. <laughs> Um, and so we had to meet at the right time for it to be the right thing. And it's the same thing for the job. Now, maybe in a different time in, in, in this man's life, maybe that role would have made sense. Maybe being in New York would have made sense. But certainly your ability to understand that that was going to be a big transition and one that even if he took the job, he was going to have to find out and figure out. Now, who knows? Maybe he would become somebody that loves Broadway shows and eating Joe's pizza. We have no idea. But at the end of the day, that's a big leap, especially when you're used to something different and your family is used to something different. So I love that you did that. I don't think that happens enough. Those are the type of things that you hiring manager has to do. A good recruiter has to do is that, listen, I get why you would want this job, but let's also talk about why it doesn't make sense and tell me and help me make, make me feel good about that. And I think you did a great service there. I'm sure you found somebody else great for the job. Yes, and that's yes what absolutely. But I, I, you know, and, and the truth is I would have considered him at a later date in a different time because we had that wonderful relationship and respect and rapport. And he knew I cared about him equally to filling a job. I wasn't just filling a job. It needed to be right for him. So I, I think we'll, we'll always be in touch. He's still on LinkedIn says hello every now and then. So, you know, you have these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I call it long-term greedy. You know, it's amazing how thinking about somebody else and putting yourself in their shoes how that always pays off long-term and that's always the right thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's a great story. I'm so glad you told it. Um, and I'm sure that guy's grateful that you you gave him that moment of reality in that interview. Um, so let me ask you this. We all miss on people now and then, right? That happens. It's the nature of being in the people business. When you miss or when the company misses on somebody, is there a common thread you can look back on? Like, oh, I wish I would have done that differently or maybe we were moving too fast or anything like that? I think there is a common thread and I think it's um, we're human. <laughs> I hate to True. say, but we are human and we build this like automatic rapport. You like somebody, you want them to do well, you're connecting, you're vibing with them and you stop listening, right? You're not listening for the answers or you're not probing on an answer they gave you mm -hmm. enough to go to the next level because you're, you know, you want them to be successful and you're not playing the role of the interviewer in the way that you should. And it's not a bad thing, but it's because you're human and you've connected with this person. I And I try to coach and guide my, my leaders and managers. I said, when you're interviewing and you're doing, you know, more than 25% of the talking, catch yourself mm. and make sure that you're sitting back and you're listening 
and you're going deeper into the interview questions and then you're really listening to the answers and you're not missing. Cause I think that's when I missed, I I'm guilty of it. We all are. And I think it's because we built that automatic rapport that we like this person and we didn't do our job as the interviewer as well as we should have. Yeah. I'm going to pause for a moment. Cause I think I've been doing more than 25% of the talking. So I just want to make <laughs> Okay, I think we're good. Now we're good. I'm back under 24%. All right. So I got to ask you from a technology perspective, is there anything that you personally use when you're interviewing or you have the team use that enhances the interview experience or you're note taking? Are you just writing down notes? Are you uh, on an Excel or using Airtable? You have an ATS? Like what's something you do from a technology perspective that helps with hiring? Um, I don't, my, my team probably does, but I, I don't, I, you know, I just, I take notes. I, I really listen and dive down into the, the questions. Um, but my team uses different technology when they're doing recruiting. I'm, I'm usually recruiting less often now in this role, sure. unless it's an executive role. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. And, I, and like, that's an interesting conundrum because technology, right. I want it to enable the human experience. And if you're not able to build a rapport with somebody, if you're not able to get a feel for them, if you can't look them in the eyes, if you're busy taking notes or jotting down notes, which is what almost all the technology that exists out there right now does, that's going to take away from candidate experience, which we both agree is super important. It's going to take away, you know, I know that'll evolve over time, but in technology that's taking away from building a human experience to one that's enabling it, that's the key. That's something that I think will make a humongous difference as we go forward. Um, I want to ask you, you know, I've asked people about a day in their life, but typically when we talk to executives day in the life, we're hearing a lot about meetings. So I'm going to ask this a little bit of a different way. When you've had a super productive day and you go home at night and you feel great about how that day went, what typically happened? So super productive could be maybe a day, you know, I mean, everything, every day is different, right? It depends sure. on the strategic priorities of the company. When I go home and feel good is because I've connected with the employees. Mm. Uh, you know, I know I've had a great conversation with somebody. I learned something new. I have a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding of what's going on with the employees or with another leader or another executive that that's the part that feels good. Like I can check off a lot of tasks on any given day. I may not have the same feeling when I go home as when I've connected with, you know, maybe I've helped my leader, he's struggling with his organizational design, and he was going down the wrong road. And we, you know, we sat down and we brainstormed and I made a contribution to him, or I've reached out to somebody in a restaurant who's struggling with an issue. And I know what, what she's dealing with, or what he's dealing with. That's when I go home and I feel good about the day. Uh, it's not always the task because I can knock those out, you know, depending on what's happening. But when I when I know I've made a difference or I've contributed to somebody, helped them out with a problem they were struggling with or um, made a connection or learned something, that's when I go home and I know I, I feel good about the day. See, that was really a trick question because any great chief people yeah. officer, that's got to be their answer. You can't tell me that you had a great <laughs> meeting or poured over a great Excel table. It's got to be about the people. I love that. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you're working on right now, or maybe the organization's working on right now that you're super juiced about, super excited about? 
Yes, I am so thrilled. We just rolled out our All-Stars and our Legends program, and that's the recognition of our employees that have 15 or more years or 25 or more years of service with Church's Texas Chicken. Um, we celebrated, we launched this program at our conference. It was the loudest celebration. You could hear it in the entire Marriott <laughs> conference room. Uh, we rolled it out across all of the different markets that we have our uh, restaurants in. And I had my franchisees involved, but you know, it's so rewarding to recognize an employee with tenure. You know, maybe it's a cook who's been with you for 25 years, which we just had 41 individuals come to a luncheon in um, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. And we've had a great luncheon for them. We've done it in St. Louis. We've done it across the United States, bringing these people together, celebrating. We bought them a plaque. There's a pen that goes with it. They have a special uniform shirt that says that they're either a legend or an all-star. So it's not just that we recognize them and they have a plaque on the wall, which was kind of cool because some of them never had a plaque in their life or anything. Oh, and wow. so now they got this nice plaque on the wall that says that they're a church's legend or they're a church's all-star. But they have this shirt that they wear every day that's a different uniform shirt that stands out from everything else that says that, you know, they're special and they matter. And shame on me for taking me four years or to roll this out. I should have, you know, seen this earlier, but I couldn't be more proud to recognize those individuals um, or you know, to hear their stories, how they put their child through college and it was the first the first person in their family to go to college or how churches helped them get their GED and then get into management. And they've had a 41 year career. I, I've got somebody as a franchisee that's 55 years. We just did a whole story. No, you're stealing my thunder a little bit because I was going to, we, we like to go through old LinkedIn posts and, and talk about it. And this is the one that I earmarked. We have Mario Sanchez, yep. who's recognized as one of the longest tenured franchisees with over 55 years. Yeah, 55 years. Whoa. And so we did that. We we are very um, active in our diversity, equity, and inclusion. So at part of Hispanic Heritage Month, in addition to the fact that he's a legend for us with 55 years of service, uh, we did a whole story on his background and you know, what, how he started. And he, he just, he brought his whole family, his entire family to do this, this video recording. And we've got his whole story taped. We flew out to the Rio Grande Valley and um, our, our chief operating officer went out and w did the interview with him, but it's, it's heartwarming and they deserve to be recognized. They just, every single day, you know, every single day they need to be identified as somebody who's been with a company that long and what they've contributed. I mean, these people, um, they may not be in a management role. They may not be in a leadership role, but they are leaders in those restaurants. They are mentors. They are talent magnets. You and I live for talent magnets, right? They're the people that invite you in. They make you feel comfortable. They make you want to come to work. They make it like a family. And, and I'm so proud to be able to recognize these individuals. 
so much five years legend indeed i can't stay on a diet for a week this guy's working 55 years day in and day out i am super <laughs> impressed by that kudos yeah. to you mario i hope you're listening all right last question Mm-hmm. If you were to amplify one nugget of career advice to professionals early in their career, maybe when you were a 20-year-old to what you know now, what would it be? And I got to tell you, the use of the word nugget, no pun intended, just because this church is chicken. All right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, it's all about discipline, right? So I think, and I, I talk about this a lot, I'm towards the end of my career, but if you pick one thing that's a needle mover in your life every year and you work on that, just think where you'll be. Mm-hmm. If people are not disciplined to follow through in their own development. You know, everything can get in your way. You, you, you're dedicating your time and it's because of a lack of discipline. So be disciplined, select one thing a year. That's a needle mover be it in your behaviors, be it in your development, in your professionalism, how you're involved in the community, how you show up, whatever it is, just pick one thing every year and really dedicate yourself to developing for your personal or your professional development and follow through, follow through because you, you know, what I see is people pick five or six things, they get nothing done. And uh, they don't make themselves a priority. So that that's what I would, I talk about it a lot. And I think it's meaningful and it's significant over time. Fantastic advice. You can't be a legend or an all-star without discipline. So I think that's a great <laughs> bit of advice for you. I got to tell you, Karen, I really enjoyed the conversation. There's no question to me why the culture at Churches is so special. I very much appreciate you coming on and answering some questions with us. I think it's going to be a great episode. People are going to love it. Thanks again. Thank you, Oz. A lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Take care. Happy Halloween. Talk to you later. Okay, bye.